Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode four of the Lip Lettuce Podcast. I'm your host, Randeep, and, and here's my co-host, Hassan. What are you doing? Uh, just got finished watching the Leafs game. How about you? Today? Uh, it was pretty, pretty uneventful. Didn't really do anything, just like every day, but yeah. So for today's episode, we have a lot to talk about since our last episode. Um, we have the Tyler Toffoli trade to Calgary. We have us going to Leaf Canuck and Hershon jinxing the Leaf. Because uh, uh, um, if you listen back to the last podcast, he did say the Canuck. Which didn't happen, but uh, we'll uh, talk about that a little bit later. And uh, we also have a very exciting interview, um, taking a deep dive into the Canucks trade deadline. So if you're a Canucks fan or are interested in the trade deadline and want to know some names that are being floated around there, we have the insider Jeff Patterson coming on to talk all things Canucks. He gives some great insight on the team, and I don't think there's anyone else who really has a better um, feel of what's going on with the Canucks. So we're excited to uh, give you guys that interview later. Um, but Sean, let's start with the Tyler Toffoli trade. Tyler Toffoli traded to the Calgary Flames for a first round pick, a fifth round pick. The first round pick is top 10 protected, but that doesn't really matter. Calgary's not going to finish that low. Yes. And then Tyler Pitlick and a Florida second-round pick, originally Emil Heinemann. Um, what do you think of the trade? Do you think well, who do you think won the trade? And uh, yeah. Oh uh, well, I don't know. I think Calgary probably won the trade, but I don't think it was a bad trade for Montreal either. But I think that was a great addition for Calgary. Really, they need a top six winger, and that's what they got off to fully. He's he'll be good on the second line in Calgary. So. Well, he debuted with Monaghan and Dubé. Um, and he scored, if you saw that. Yeah, he scored that goal. Yeah, Calgary looks really strong right now. First place in the Pacific. I think that it fits in perfectly because he's played with so many players on that team. Lucci on Los Angeles, right? Yeah. Tanev, Markstrom. Sutter was his coach when they won the Stanley Cup. So he's really familiar with a lot of the leadership in there. So I think that's also a big reason why he makes so much sense in uh, Calgary. But what do you think on the Montreal end of it? Do you think that it's a a fair return? I think they got a lot. Yeah, I think they got that first and the second, I think, is big. I mean, we knew Defoli was going to be gone by the trade deadline, but... I think the first and the second was definitely good for Montreal. I don't really see them losing this trade. I think it was a win-win trade for both teams. Is a real out of the Pacific now, like with Toffoli I... in the lineup. Um, it seems like they have a top nine that can match any other top nine, not in the East, I'd say, but in the West. 
Um, I say Calgary's still top of the Pacific. I don't know if Vegas is better than Calgary. I never really thought highly of Vegas. People think they're a powerhouse, but I don't know. I don't really think highly of Vegas. I think I think Calgary's why, top Pacific. So do you think that uh, Vegas? Why don't you think that highly of Vegas? Like, what's the reason behind that? Because Vegas has been so strong the last few years. Well, I don't know. I just I. Well, they have really bad cap situation now. I think Mark Stone also. I don't know. I'm not really high on Mark Stone being a top player, and their goalie situation right now is not looking well. Robin Leonard, I don't know how long he's out for. There's not been much information, but if he's having injury problems, they don't have any goalie. They have. They don't really have anyone. So I don't know. I just never. Really, I don't think Vegas is gonna. I don't think Vegas is top Pacific. I think Calgary is at this time. But with Vegas having Eichel on LTIR, I mean, coming off of LTIR and Stone going right back on until they stay in the playoffs even, um, do you think that Vegas could add even? Like, they could even make some moves here. And I think they, I think Vegas... What their experience is going to give, it'll be a tight, tight series between those two teams, but we'll see. I think Vegas and Calgary are definitely the only two teams in the Pacific that really have a shot coming out of that division. Pacific is a really weak division. There isn't really any, like, any other team apart from Calgary and Vegas. Um, in other news, um, we went to the Canucks versus Leafs game. What was your take on seeing the Leafs the first time, being at warm-up, the vibe around there, and um, watching them live, watching Austin Matthews live, Mitch Marner, um, seeing guys like Morgan Riley. What do you think of that? Um, well, I think Matthews was definitely the best player on the ice stand. I mean... During warm-ups, there was way more people than I thought there was going to be. They said 50% capacity. There is there's no way that was only 50%. So, I mean, it was pretty... I mean, I was really excited at the game. Even during warm-ups, I was... I don't know, I was a little starstruck during warm-ups. I think you were too, even though you've seen them a bunch of times, but... Well, yeah. uh, it's always fun seeing the Leafs live. You don't really get to see them that often because they only come here once. So it's always fun to get to see them, especially when they're good like this. Because growing up, they all haven't always been good, and then the Canucks have always been good. So whenever they come here, usually, usually lost pretty badly. Um, they lost this time, but I don't think it was any fault of their own. Thatcher Demko is just a goalie machine. And there's nothing really else you can say about that. He's the Canucks' best player, and he might be a top three goalie in the NHL. Yeah, it's just Thatcher Demko just does what he does every night. So it's most saved by a Vancouver goalie in the past, like, 39 years. So, I mean. You were pretty heartbroken when the Leafs lost, but I wasn't expecting them to win. Oh. They always seem to lose in Vancouver. 
what do you think of seeing uh, Jason Specs alive and your favorite player, Pierre Engvall? Engvall just looked like a superstar. He's my silly player. I mean, I think I enjoyed seeing everyone play apart from Justin Hole. Kind of ruined my night, but. He's playing pretty well tonight against the Penguins. He's looked pretty solid. Justin Hole looked, looked good tonight. So, I mean, he's inconsistent. Yeah, he is really inconsistent this year, but hopefully he can pick it back up before a trade deadline. Maybe he can move, maybe he won't, but hopefully this who's later one, half, bring it back. Who's one Leafs player that you that was way better live that you, than you thought there would be watching them on TV? Uh, For me, it was Andre Pasta. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's hard to say. Probably. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to tell. It's probably Nylander. You know, sometimes on TV, Nylander looks like he's not even trying, but he looked really good in real life. So I'd say Nylander. Um, uh, I went to uh, the Abbotsford Canuck. We were, I was supposed to talk about that last episode, and I saw... A line brawl happened, and they scored, like, eight goals. It was pretty crazy. So, me and you have to go to one of those games. We have to go see the Marlies or something. Whoa. Like, seriously, like, but when I went to go see them, so, um, Madison Bowie scored a goal. It was his second goal of the game. And he was the Tuscan Roadrunner's bench. And he gave him a little taunt. And I guess um, one of the players didn't like it, Bokondi Amama. Uh, we talked about him in the earlier episodes. Um, he got he was the target of racism earlier in the AHL season. Um, anyways, he gets up and two hands him like a base right at his uh, chest and hits him. Bowie goes down and just a huge line brawl break though. It was like crazy. I've never seen anything like that. The pro game, it was pretty funny. But we, yeah, a mama got kicked out. Would you say going to a abstract Canucks game is more entertaining to going to an actual Canucks game? Or, well, we live in Abbotsford, so it's a lot easier. Um, go, uh, to the Abbotsford Canucks games, like just uh, it's like only a ten minute drive, and the tickets are so cheap. So you could go to a lot more and it's just, it's fun. It's good. It's good hockey and it's entertaining. So, I mean, yeah, a mama got suspended three games for that, but do you think anything else is going to happen at trade deadline? Like there's a lot of names floating around out there, like uh, Jacob Pickering, even Brock Bester, JT Miller. We're going to talk about that later with Jeff Patterson. Um, there's there's a lot of guys on the trade trade board. I'll, I'm gonna pull up the PSN trade deadline board here, and um, you uh you tell me what you think of these names and where you think they might go. I'll give you like three or four names. Um, but if there's any player that you think that would move that you that no one thinks would move, like a big player, who would you predict? Hot take, hot take player that's gonna move. Hot take player that's gonna move. Yeah. 
That's so hard, but uh, wow, uh, it's hard to pick. One, anyone. Um, I'm gonna say flurry back, flurry to the Oilers. That's what I'm saying. Flurry to the Oilers. Yep. It's hard to think on the spot if any big names that get moved fairly. That are really in talks now. You're overthinking. You're overthinking it. I probably am, but. Okay, here's a name. Claude Giroux. Uh, I can see Drew ending up in probably Minnesota. They don't even have a first line center, so I can see how he has, a, he has a big contract. They would have to take, but they would have to. Uh... It really depends. I don't know. If, does Minnesota Minnesota think they're contenders in the West? I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say, but they want a first line center, and I think Drew is out there, so. I could see Vancouver possibly making a trade with the Rangers. That's a that's a team and a team with a lot of good young players and a team that's also going for it um, in the Rangers. I could see that working for both teams. Um, number ten on the TSN trade bait board is Arizona cap space. That is number ten. Yeah, it's number ten. Well, um, I don't even know what ben to say. Ben Chirot is number two. Whoever gets Ben Chirot, I think, is overpaying. Yeah, Montreal wants a first-round pick for Ben Chirot, but Pierre Lebrun reported he'll be traded within the next seven to ten days. So, I don't know. I don't know where he'll end up, but... Whatever team gets him, I think, is going to be overpaying. Um... You know what I mean? Like, I, I just don't think that Ben Draw is... I think he's a little bit overrated, in my opinion. So, what would you... What would you think of Ben Draw on the Leafs if the Leafs gave up their first-round pick this year? I think that would be the biggest mistake in the world. Um, I'm just trying to pull up some advanced stats on, on Ben Draw. Um... So Ben Chirot, he um, for top four defensemen in the NHL per sixty minutes, he leads his team in penalty minutes taken, uh, not including roughing calls. So these are hooking minors, holding minors. Um, I'm getting this <clears throat> from Jonas Siegel. And if you think that they don't call penalties in the playoffs, he also statistics in the playoffs they they line up um last year's playoffs he was also on the ice for a minus 16 goal differential so i think just for the fact that he was playing with jay weber and montreal kind of got onto this magical cup run um he's been worse this year and teams might think oh because he's on a bad team but i don't think that he's a good i just think that he is then like if you compare him a player last year, I think he would be like a Nick Foligno kind of player. Um, he's also been battling injury all year as well, so 
it's not like you're getting a player that you're totally 100% sure is going to come in and be steady and be a rock. He could be a player that is a step behind and is similar to a Justin Holt. So, yes, he brings the mean factor, but I think that you can get that without paying a first-round pick. What do you think? Uh, well, yeah, I agree, but I think a team is definitely going to overpay for Ben Sherrod. But, I, yeah, I don't think... Too smart to do that. Um, I'm hoping, but I think first rounder. But if they don't pay a first rounder, Montreal is gonna have to sell on him at some point. So I think a deal for Ben Schwab might come close to the deadline. Um, as teams kind of see how the market unfolds, because a def- the defense market is so hot. Um, Look at these other names, Mark Giordano, Adam Larson, Nick Letty, Jacob Chikrin. These are solid. These are top, top, I'd say, five defensemen on a good team that could kind of step in and be really solid third-pair defensemen. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've heard some news on Giordano that Florida, Florida is linked to Mark Giordano, so... You can't just... Where do you get the source from? Um, well, I have to go look, but I don't want to actually leave the recording, but... What? Is it just a random Instagram page? No, it isn't. It's on... Uh... Puck Empery? No, not the fake one where... The ones where... Uh, the ones where you always, always fall for it, but then you realize how fake it is with the news. All I know is Evander Kane is coming for revenge here. So, Evander have King. you been following him since he came back? Um, no, not really. I mean, I don't think he's. I don't know what he's really doing. He's being an NHL star. That's what he's doing. I think he should be in jail, but. What? I don't know. He's never been. He's been accused. He's never been charged, so you can't say. You think he should be in jail? He's innocent. Yeah, he's yeah, whatever. He's I don't know. He's not. I don't know what he's even doing. Like, what does he have? One goal, two goals. Like, I'm trying to keep a track. Checking right now. I know he plays on the second line with Drysdale, but okay, through eight games, he has three goals, three assists. Oh. Yep, he, he just he just quieted the haters right there. If I was the Oilers, do you think that you could get a, like, like, the Oilers really need a goalie? I don't really. Like, look at tonight. Uh, um, Mike Smith, in his last eight starts, he has given up two goals on the first six or fewer shots he's faced. Two goals in first four shots versus St. Louis. Two and three versus New Jersey, two and six versus Las Vegas, two and two versus Chicago, and two and six tonight versus Anaheim. That just happened. Oh, like just now? It just happened. Two yes. and six. Yeah. Well, I don't really know what the goaltending mark is like. I don't, I don't know. Like, I think Edmonton when, is when, like. When Tippett got fired, he played Smith in back-to-back games. 
Yeah, they're <laughs> if Stuart Skinner is our backup, so and we're talking about Evander Kane, and as of this recording, five minutes ago, Evander Kane scores. Now he's up to seven points in eight games as an Edmonton Oiler. Four goals, three assists. A point per game player. What do you think about that? Uh, I don't think my opinion will He's really fit man. in. He's really fit in. Do you just not like him as a person? Because I could see that. But as a hockey player, he is so good. And you have to get that. Um, well... After the millions of different rumors about what he's done, I don't think I could agree with him even being in the NHL. I mean, if it's any other sporting league, he's probably like getting cancelled. Nobody will ever see his face again, so... I don't know. That's not like If he was in the NFL, he'd fit in. Just because uh, of all the, all of the controversy in that league. Antonio Brown. He's the Antonio Brown of the NHL. But let's get off of Vander Kane. I don't even know how we got on that. I brought him up. Um, our, um, who else is on the trade block here? I, I, I'd like to see um, if what kind of moves a team like Colorado is going to make. Um, just the contenders, I'd like to see who they're going to add and how it's going to help them. Because it always seems like uh, the team that makes the right moves at the deadline always goes far. Yeah. Like I Tampa think... and... Sorry? Wait, what'd you say about Tampa? <laughs> well, like, just the last few years, they've always added at the deadline and got some good additions. Even if it's um, just depth players that really helped them win the Stanley Cup. So. And then before that, if you look at other teams who had at the deadline so far, so um, it could really bolster a lineup. Yeah, it's think... just the major factor of overpaying. I think there will be a lot of big moves this year to trade that line. Big names like Drew, JT Miller, I think there'll be a lot of moves that happen. But really curious to see how Edmonton handles their goalie situation. But um, so. if you look at another team like the Boston Bruins, you see the six game suspension Brad Marchand got for spearing an intent to injure uh, Christian Jari. Um, he is now the most. It, he passes Chris Pronger for being the most suspended player in an individual career with eight suspensions. Um, do you think that this suspension warrant is off reputation? Because I think the games is off reputation. Yeah, I think this... I don't know, but... Yeah, I think six games is off reputation, but... Let's see if any other player... That doesn't have a reputation that Marshawn has. Maybe gets like, maybe two games, three games, but yeah, that's definitely off his reputation. He got the six games. Yeah, he was. Uh, it was pretty funny. Like 
just seeing him go back. Like and and earlier in the game, uh, Jari was trying to flip a puck to Fanny and knocked it off his stick. So there was something going on between them all night. Um, but Marshawn is always Marshawn. Like lately, he's just been going crazy on social media and stuff too. So you probably thought he was untouchable at that point. Um, I don't know, uh, Marshan. People, I don't know. People thought he shouldn't even have gone suspension in the first place, even with the reputation he has. I've seen that. I saw that so much all over social media. You know, I don't even know what people are talking about. So, yeah. Do you got any um, news on content coming out, Merck? Are we coming out with any merch? Um, did you say merch? Yeah. Um, I don't. I think you have to leave. I think you gotta. What'd you say? I think I don't know if we're at that stage yet, but I was thinking of ordering like lip lettuce shooting sleeves, and we could uh get the logos on there, and we could get players on your basketball team for them. <laughs> lip lettuce shooting sleeves. I don't know. If, what do you do? Pe- do people even wear shooting sleeves anymore? I don't think so. Do they wear leg sleeves? Maybe we get like lip lettuce headbands. Yeah, and then yeah, and then the logo has to be um, on the front there. Our podcast is named Lip Lettuce, but neither of us have a mustache. I have a beard, and I don't have anything. So you have to bring your mustache back. I don't know about that one. Why? I look kind of weird with a mustache. Well, we have a podcast named Lip Lettuce, so it's either you or me, baby. I think you should just go mustache. Um, you have anything else you want to talk about here? Uh, well, the end of our last podcast... I talked about how Matthew should win the Hart Trophy, so I still think he should win the Hart Trophy. Everyone needs to know that. So Matthew's for Hart this year. Who else do you think's in the running? He's not even like on a top five list. You know what I mean? I think Huberto probably at the top of the list, and you can also throw even Shesterkin into that conversation. Okay, Matthews, did Matthews come back tonight? Uh, apparently he did. I think he did come back late in the third. But I'm not completely sure. Yeah, he returned. So Matthews is back. I mean, he's tied the league's tied the league lead for goals. He lost his way. He he lost he he looks like uh. He looks oh, like Mitch Marner. Yes, oh my goodness. So that's what he did. He just lost his teeth. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm going to send it to you right now.
Well, I found it. I found the picture. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Matthews for heart. Matthews for heart and Matthews for some major dental work. That is for sure. Him and Martin have matching teeth now. What's the baby? The only pretty one left is Nylander. Uh, no, I think Engvall. You have such a man crush on Engvall. Even when we were at the game, all you were doing was staring at Engvall. I was trying to get Engvall to look at us. He he was too... He thought he was too cool. He thought he was, like, the top player. He was, like, mean-mugging everyone. He'd even look into the crowd once. I don't know what... I don't know who Engvall thinks he is. He was focused. He was focused right. on his wraparound. He needs to stop doing that. Actually, no. Um, Sean, anything else? Like, um, you masterpiece for heart. Come on, every podcast you're gonna say that. I'm gonna say that until he wins a, a trophy every day. Every time we do a podcast. I have to talk about Matthew's winning the heart. Well, we uh, actually discussed before the podcast we wouldn't talk about the Leafs, and uh, now we've spent about 15 minutes talking about the Leafs. So, w- this is a podcast discussing all things hockey. So, come on. Let's, let's talk about another team here, and a team that really, that I really, really think people are sleeping on. Um, that could do some damage in the West, the Minnesota Wild. Um, I'm a big fan of them. Uh, they played, they they were a big team, and they're young, and I love the real Kirikov. He's, he's next level. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I don't know, it's hard to say. I think they really need a first-line center. I mean, Harmon is first line center right now. He's had a terrific season, but I think they actually need like someone who, like Giroux, who's actual first line center, top six for it. Do you really think Giroux's a top first line center though? For like, for Minnesota, yeah, I think he will be. But he's going to have to play minutes against uh, Colorado. You know what I mean? And a team like that, that he isn't a top. Like, does he match against Kadri? Does he match against McKinnon? Well, who does Minnesota have currently that even matches against those two? I don't see anyone they do have. But to me, like, you, you the ask for Drew is going to be so high. Um, I understand it's like a goal for year for Minnesota because after these this year, they have to start paying the bio of student Parise. So they have like $8 million in bio taken up in cap space, I think. Something crazy. So <clears throat> they're going to have to unload contracts. So this is a go for a year. So I kind of understand, but for Minnesota's sake, I hope they can get someone a little bit more high end than Drew. I don't know who's out there, but uh, I guess I'll just start like the McDavid to the Wild rumor, you know. McDavid to the Wild. 
McDavid for Dumba in the first. I believe Edmonton. But is there anyone else you think could do damage in the West? I know the West isn't as the strong as the East, strong. but the West isn't too strong. Um, but I I do think now it's it's a good time to throw it over to our interview. We want to talk about the West. We have Jeff Patterson on, um, an insider, a reporter for over twenty years for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, the guys at every practice, every game. Um, I don't think there's anyone else who has a more in-depth view and more of a vibe of what's going on with the Canucks going into the trade deadline and the rest of the season. So I'm excited to share this interview with you guys. So without further ado, Jeff Patterson of Vancouver. And thank you, Rashawn, for another episode. And yeah, we'll get some more guests on. Hopefully you could join an interview for one. One day I will. One day. All right. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, we'll throw it over to Jeff and I. Bye-bye. Introduce my next guest on the Lip Lettuce Podcast. A staple in my hometown market of Vancouver and the Lower Mainland. And inside for all things to do with the Vancouver Canucks and the host of the Rinkwide podcast with over 20 years of broadcasting experience, Jeff Patterson. Thank you so, so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for the invite. Um, how's everything going with you? Uh, how's how's living in Vancouver? It's the weather's been bad lately and the gas prices have been high. Eh? Uh, yes, that's uh, Vancouver in a nutshell. Vancouver's my hometown, so uh, I am happy to... Uh, be here, happy to be doing what I do for a living. Uh, you know, on uh, the sunny days, it's hard to beat this city when it rains. Hey, that's life. Uh, I've come to expect that over the years. But uh, uh, we're not here to complain about weather or anything else. We're here to talk hockey, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you've been in and around the Canucks for a long time. And you've seen many different people in the front office. <clears throat> What's your first impression of uh, the Canucks front office? Um What's the vibe you get from Jim, Jim Rutherford and the direction that they kind of want to go in? Well, I wish I had terrific stories to share about Jim Rutherford, but because of the times that we are in with the pandemic, access to anybody in the hockey world, it's just so much different than it's been through the first two decades of my career. Right? You know, it's primarily on Zoom. Uh, you may see a guy around the rink, but uh, everybody's wearing masks still. Like, it's just it's so hard to really you know, get to know somebody new when they come in and take over a position like Jim Rutherford has done. So I've been able to talk to him a few times and taken part in a couple of Zooms that that he's done. But in terms of feeling like I've gotten to know him at all, uh, I can't say that uh, I have. And certainly Patrick Alvin, I've had almost no communication with. Uh, we had Cammy Granato on, uh, I was sitting in for Blake Price on the Sakaris and Price show and talked to Cammy last week, and that was fun. And uh, otherwise, uh, whether it's Emily Castingay or Derek Clancy, I've seen them around the rink a little bit, but uh, kind of like Jim Rutherford. It's it's still, you know, I, I, I just, I can't wait to the time that we can get back to personal interaction and just being able to have conversations with people as I have throughout my time covering the Vancouver Canucks and certainly in the three years that I was out on the road traveling and covering the team that way. Um, you know, it's just so much different. So 
Uh, you know, I'm still very much in the getting to know you phase, but in this role and from my perspective, I think Jim Rutherford has lived up to his promise that he was going to expand the front office. He was going to bring in people and provide them an opportunity that maybe they hadn't had yet at the National Hockey League level. He set uh, a pretty wide path to find the, the, the right people, the ones that he wanted to. Uh, that first day that he was uh, introduced in Vancouver, he said he had a list of 40 names uh, for his general manager's search. I I'm guessing that Patrick Velveen was always quite up near the top of it. And uh, so he brings in a guy that he's familiar with. And now it's time to roll up their sleeves. I think that front office is pretty close to set. They've got a lot of people with diverse backgrounds and terrific experience in the game of hockey. And now the hard work begins to try to set the course for this Vancouver Canuck franchise to get it moving in the right direction. And they've done a pretty decent job of that uh, since the coaching change. But uh, uh, even through all of that, there's still a 500 hockey club. So there's a, a lot of work that's left to be done. Right. And I, I, I agree the <clears throat> the changes in the management position, I, I think it have been, really refreshing um, compared to what Canuck fans have been used to in the past. Um, so looking towards the new management, what do you think a successful deadline would be for, for them? Do you think guys like JT Miller, Brock Besser and Connor Garland will be in the mix or do you think the Canucks will kind of stand pat and look to make more moves in the off season? I'm expecting a fair bit of trade activity. The Canucks made the moves that they made in early December, the house cleaning at uh, the management and the coaching level, because ownership wasn't happy with the direction of the team. And why would they be? They had eight wins in their first 25 games. And so Jim Rutherford was hired to do a job, and that is to change the course that the Vancouver Canucks have been on. And obviously bringing in Boost Brudrow, and they got the initial reaction with the seven wins and 8-0-1 in their first nine games. And, you know, that's all been terrific. And it's hard to argue with the success that Bruce Boudreau has brought in here. Through all of that, though, even with the Bruce bump, this team is a game over 500 as you and I sit here and record this. So uh, 500 or a game over 500, that's not going to get it done at the end of the season. And this management group knows that. Jim Rutherford has Stanley Cup rings to show for. Patrick Alvin has been a Stanley Cup champ as well. They know that it takes probably 10 to 12 games over 500 just to get into the playoffs. And this isn't about getting into the playoffs. That was the goal of the last regime was get in and hope. And yeah, they did a little bit of that uh, in the bubble in Edmonton. But really, that was the the highlight of you know eight years of the Jim Benning regime. And so uh, Jim Rutherford, uh, I believe him when he says he's got a plan. He's got an idea of kind of the way that he wants to construct this roster and, and get the Canucks playing. And so, uh, again, when you look at the results, they've been better under Boudreaux than they were under Travis Green, but they're not good enough. And they've got their work cut out for them. I know the players and Bruce Boudreaux still want to believe that they're in the playoff chase. And, you know, they can see the playoff bar from where they are, but you have to look around the conference. You have to look at the games in hand that uh, just about every team has on them. You have to look at the schedule and what's ahead for the Vancouver Canucks. And ultimately, I don't think they're a playoff team, but even if they are, let's say they scrape in, they get the second wild card. The reward for getting into the playoffs is going to be a first round matchup with Colorado. And you saw what the Leafs did to the Vancouver Canucks with 53 shots on goal. Uh, I can't imagine that the Canucks would be able to slow down a team like the Colorado Avalanche. So uh, I'm not sure that there's really a whole lot of, uh, you know, it really isn't much of a point for this team to continue thinking that that is the best path forward. I, I, I think Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine, and I know I keep talking about Rutherford because even though Alvine's the GM, I, 
look, the buck stops with the president of hockey operations and Alvin's still learning on the job here under Rutherford. So uh, I think Rutherford's the one calling the shots. He's got a track record of being busy, likes to be a trader, doesn't stand pat, all those types of things. There's five weeks to go ahead of the trade deadline. I think the Canucks are likely to be involved in one or two what I would call sizable or significant trades with some of the names that you mentioned there. <clears throat> do you think that um, Canucks ownership, like in the past, th- do you think they were fully open to the idea of a rebuild or retool? And with this new regime, do you think that they would be more open to that idea? I, I think it was pretty evident that early on in the Jim Benning years and when Trevor Linden was still around, that the hope was for a quick turnaround. And obviously that first year when they had 101 points and you know, they got into the playoffs as the higher seed against Calgary, they, they should have won that series, but they didn't. And and then we all know kind of where it went from there. Uh, and then Trevor Linden parted ways because uh, there was a philosophical difference. And this idea of constantly chasing you know, short-term success and just scraping into the playoffs, say, they're paying for that now. Look at the pipeline. There's not much in the pipeline. They've traded away first-rounders here the last couple of years. Teams that are up against the cap and on the outside, there shouldn't be trading away first-rounders just for the you know, instant gratification of a, a first-round playoff exit. And even at that, they couldn't manufacture uh, getting to the first round of the playoffs. I mean, the only time they did was uh, the bubble when the playoff field was expanded to 24 and there was no guarantee when COVID hit and stopped the season that there were 13 games to go. There was no guarantee that the Canucks were going to be a playoff team that year. So they benefited from an expanded playoff tournament. And then once in, like, good on them. Beat Minnesota, beat St. Louis, and gave Vegas fits. But, you know, it's it's hard to point to that and say, like, what an incredible run. And, you know, that's the highlight of eight years of the previous regime. So the bar has to be higher. The bar's just been way too low in Vancouver. And I think people have accepted this notion of meaningful games in March and, you know, get in and and take your chances and, and hope for the best. Like, that's not a sound strategy. That's certainly not going about building a contender, a team that's built to, you know, take a bet its best shot at the, at the Stanley Cup for a number of years. Like I know people in Vancouver don't want to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Maple Leafs. So well, they do like to talk about the Leafs when they flame out in the first round of the playoffs. But despite the, the playoff failures, like, that is still a really good team and it is built to have success. I mean, it's, it's not Toronto's fault that they run into either Tampa or Boston in the first round. It seems every year, like they're just stuck in a division right now that is stacked. And, and that's been unfortunate for them. But uh, I still think like when you look at the pieces that they've assembled, uh, yeah, sure. Maybe they're leaning on a couple of uh, guys a little too heavily when you look at the salary structure there. But it's a really good hockey team, and uh, it just you saw it out on the ice when the Canucks went head to head. Like the Leafs were way faster than the Canucks. Their top end guys uh, put on a show. Ultimately, the Canucks goaltender was the difference maker, and there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, I think you're asking an awful lot if you think that a goalie can beat another team four out of seven if they get into a playoff series. It's happened. We've seen goaltenders steal series. Don't get me wrong. But uh, again, I think that's a flawed strategy if, if that's the way you're building your team uh, once you arrive in the playoffs. So again, I, I just think all indications are that Jim Rutherford uh, was hired to make changes, that he can't be happy with the overall position of this team now nearing the 50-game mark. So yeah, I'm expecting, uh, I'm expecting some fireworks ahead of that March 21st deadline. Well, I've taken up a lot of your time today. Um, I just want to ask you one last question. A player that really fascinates me on the Canucks is 
uh, Elias Pedersen. I mean, he started as almost a point of game player um, as a rookie and sophomore, and some would have expected him to burst out and be almost like a top 10, top 15 center in the NHL. Um, do you think that his play is more leaning towards the first part of his career, or do you think that this year is kind of like a blip um, and he, he could have definitely have a bounce back and he could, his ceiling can get to that level again? I'm not prepared to throw away those first two seasons. It was incredible to watch the way he arrived, scored in his first NHL shot, scored 10 goals in his first NHL, 10 NHL games. And, you know, I was there home and away traveling. I was there to watch all of those 10 goals. And, you know, there were comparisons at that point to Pavel Bure and, and his arrival in Vancouver. And, you know, he didn't do things at the same speed that Bure did, but just in terms of like bursting onto the scene and looking like a superstar in the making. And he was terrific that rookie season. He was really good and, and he won the rookie of the year. And, and so he should have. And then he backed it up with another nice season, almost a point of game guy those first two years. And, and he was doing things that put him in really select company in his first two seasons in the National Hockey League. We know what happened last year, the COVID season, uh, the, the wrist injury. You know, that was a write-off. That year, you roll it up and throw it in the trash bin. But the hope was that he had all that time to rest up and recover and put himself in, in a position to get back to where he was to start this year. Then there was the contract, and that held him out through co- through training camp. And, you know, he got a couple of preseason games in and, and then got off to a bit of a sluggish start. And and then I can, it was sort of the snowball effect. And, and he knew the pressure was on with the – the money that he was now making and what he means to this team and just the, the heat in this market. And it's been frustrating because there have been flashes, but again, like if you're going to get where you want to go as an organization, your best players have to lead the way and they've got to live up to expectations and at times exceed them. And Pedersen certainly hasn't done that. Like nobody signed up for him to be a half a point a game guy. So I have been encouraged with his last 10 games or so. There have been moments there that make me think that he's starting to look and feel a lot like his former self. There's a long way to go this year. I don't think that he's going to come anywhere close to being a point of game guy. So by my measure, and that was the the bar I'd sort of set for him, you know, it's going to be a disappointing season the first year on this contract. Uh, But if he can have a big second half, if he can be closer to the point of game guy uh, that we've come to expect him to be, then maybe he's setting himself up for, uh, you know, next year to get back to where he was in those first couple of years. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not writing him off. I'm certainly not in the group that thinks that uh, they should be looking at trading him or consider trading him. Uh, I, I will say that when you are in the Canucks position, I don't know that anybody other than Demko and Quinn Hughes can be fully untouchable. Like if teams call and they've got something to offer, I mean, it would be hard to get market value, but there are other good players out there. Uh, you know, so I just think if you're the Canucks and, and Jim Rutherford didn't draft this player, so you know he doesn't have the same sort of uh, background and allegiance that uh, Jim Benning did. Um, I think Jim Rutherford can afford to be ruthless. Again, I, I don't think they should be trading Elias Pettersson. I hope that they don't. Uh, but he's some of this is on him too. He's just got to be better. He's got to be better, and he's got to be better for sustained periods. Like it's not enough to say, oh, like you know, there was that moment in the second period last night. No, I want to come out of the rink saying, like, hands down, best player on the ice. There was no doubt about it. Can't wait to see him get back into action in the next game. And 
we really haven't done that. Like, I'm not sure that I've left the building this year thinking easily the best player on the ice. You know, there have been some nights where I think he's in the conversation, but I want to get back to the guy that, you know, as a rookie, dominated games. He had two five-point nights in his rookie season. Like, where's that Elias Pettersson? I want that Elias Pettersson back. Uh, I hope he can return. And I do think that he is a piece to build around. You saw it in the playoff bubble. You know, you don't get, uh, you know, you're not a point of game guy in your first trip to the Stanley Cup playoffs unless you've got some special talent. And he certainly does, um, you know, but they got to surround him. The supporting cast isn't good enough. And so uh, I do think that he can be part of the solution here. But uh, I come back to that, that, you know, we can talk about it all we want. Ultimately, it's on him to show up on a nightly basis and strive to be the best player uh, on the ice and be better than the other team's best players and really be a difference maker and dig in and leave your your stamp on hockey games. And it just it hasn't happened nearly enough. If it did early in the season, Travis Green may still be coaching here. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And uh, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about the Canucks. I, I couldn't have uh, asked for anyone better to give some insight on the team. Well, I appreciate you having me on. It was fun. Thank you again. And hopefully we can talk again soon. Take care. Thank you guys for listening to episode four. Take care. I appreciate you guys.